Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Restoration. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you all this morning, whether you're new and visiting uh, with us, whether you're a longtime member here, or if you happen to be joining us online, we're thankful for you all uh, joining us here. If you're new, I don't usually wear glasses up here. This is actually part of the illustration. So I don't need glasses up here, right? I'm nearsighted, right? Which means I can see my notes. I can see you all uh, pretty clearly from here. At sporting events, if I'm sitting farther away, or if I'm sitting far away, you know, in the evening when I'm driving and it's night driving, something like that, that's when I usually use these, right? Why? Why do I need glasses when I need them? Well, I mean, this is going to sound kind of simple, but I need glasses because glasses have lenses, right? And these lenses come between me and the world, and they shift the way that I see things, right? My glasses probably wouldn't work for you, whether you need glasses or not, because they're made for my eyes, right? If you were to wear them, they'd probably make things more blurry for you. They happen to make things more clear for me, right? Now, whether you need glasses or not, whether you have physical lenses that change the way that you see the world or not, what you do have are metaphorical lenses. You have things that help you interpret the world. You have ways, beliefs, worldviews that serve as lenses for the way that you look at the world. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Lenses that you have that make you see the world more clearly or even more blurry. Right? So how do we know that we're looking through the right lenses? How do we know what the right lenses are? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit in our passage this morning. We're going to continue in the book of Acts where we've been for the last few months. We're going to read about how the Apostle Paul looks at the world. Right? The Apostle Paul, at the beginning of our passage, is going to hear God's plan for him. He's going to learn what God has planned for him. But in the midst of that plan, he's going to experience some really difficult circumstances. And so he's going to be faced with a question. Do I look at God's plan for me through the lens of my circumstances? Or do I look at my circumstances through the lens of of God's plan. And even though our circumstances might be different than Paul's, we're going to see that that's the same question we're often faced with. I know what God's called me to. I know what God plans for me. But do I see that through the lens of circumstances in my life? Or do I look at God's, do I look at my circumstances through the lens of God's plans? And the way that we answer that is often going to bring either blurriness or clarity to the way that we live life in this world. So last week, Dan left us off in chapters 21 and 22 of Acts. He talked about the importance of story. He talked about how Paul uses his story to engage people with the story of Jesus. And he talked about this speech that Paul gave, this telling of Paul's story to this large crowd. Now, what he didn't talk about was what happens from that telling of that story. There's actually a huge riot that breaks out because of his message, right? The Jewish audience that's listening to Paul breaks out in this riot because of some of the things that Paul says. And so Paul finds himself 
trapped between uh, the Jews who are angry about his message, this crowd, and between the Roman government who is protective of him because he's a Roman citizen, but they're very confused about his message. Why is this message that you're standing up here giving to us causing such a public disturbance? So they pull him aside, they guard him, they protect him, but they also say, we're going to investigate what's going on. We're going to investigate what this message is that you're giving. So we pick up in chapter 23. We're going to pick up about halfway through. It's uh, verse 11. It's on uh, 932 of your pew Bible if you want to turn there. We're going to pick up in verse 11. We're going to see that God gives Paul a plan. He says, this is what's going to happen. This is where things are going. But, as I said, Paul's going to face some difficult circumstances along the way. And so he's, is he going to look at those circumstances through the lens of God's plan, or is he going to look at God's plan through the lens of his circumstances? I'm going to invite up Joel Hur to read our passage for us this morning. It's actually passages. And the reason I say that is we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. He's going to read parts of chapter 23, 24, and 25. Don't worry, not all of those chapters, but a significant part. In order to do that, he's going to skip some verses, and he'll tell you when he's skipping. But again, if you want to start with him, page 932 of your pew Bible, he's going to start in chapter 23 of verse 11. As he's doing that, I want you to listen to some of these circumstances that Paul faces. And I want you to think about how they might relate to some of the circumstances that you face in your life in this world. Joel, go ahead and read for us. Acts chapter 23, verse, beginning in verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Now to verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell me. Down to verse 22. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. Verse 31. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Verse 34. Felix asked what province Paul was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's Praetorium. Chapter 24, starting at verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. Verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. 
After some days, Felix came with his wife, Priscilla, who is Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Chapter 25, verse 1. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I will be tried on these, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But there is nothing to their charges against me. No one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. This Thanks be to God. Thanks, Joel. So as I said, we had to cover a lot of uh, ground there in those chapters, right? Jesus appears to Paul at the beginning of it, and he says, just like you've testified about me in Jerusalem, you're going to share about me in Rome. Now, I don't know what Paul expected to then happen, if he would immediately just get on the road and go to Rome or not, but things get a lot more difficult than he would expect. I'm certain he did not expect two plus years of people trying to kill him, house arrest. Look at some of the things he had to face, right? First, his countrymen conspire. They're so intense on killing him that 40 of them make a vow to not eat or drink until they kill him. Because of that threat, he has to come under house arrest by Rome, who everyone knows is a tyrannical, power-hungry government over Israel at this time. They're going to investigate him. Who knows how long that's going to take? The Jews throughout that process continue to falsely accuse him, making up lies about him, mischaracterizing him, trying to get, them, trying to get him handed over to them so that they can kill him. Right? Instead, he gets handed from one Roman official 
to another for two years. They keep him under house arrest. They expect him to bribe them. So he continually suffers for all this time from false accusations, from corrupt officials, from imprisonment, from threats to his life. Right? How would Paul, having heard this command from Jesus that he was going to go to Rome, how would he have responded to now what appears all these circumstances of difficulty in his life, right? He knows that God has said, I have a plan for you to go to Rome. But how easy would it have been for that plan to get very blurry in the midst of these difficult circumstances, right? We know that he felt anxious, powerless, afraid, because the first thing Jesus says to him is, take courage, right? I know that it would have been easy for Paul to begin to see God's plan for him through the lens of these circumstances, through these suffering that he was experiencing, the blurring what God had called him to. The reason I know that is because that's what happens to me. I think if you take a moment and think about your own heart, I think that's probably what happens to you too, right? What do I mean by that? Well, we've likely never faced a group of people who made an oath to kill you. At least I hope you haven't faced that. You may not have been under government house arrest or been passed from one official to another, expected to give bribes, not sure when you're going to be released. But I am sure that you face the same type of difficult circumstances. I know that some of you have faced false accusations. I know that some of you have shared with me about the ways that you've been lied about. Others of you have told me how you feel trapped by circumstances that seem out of your control. I know you've had to deal with corrupt people, people that were supposed to be there for your benefit and your flourishing, but instead were a curse and a hindrance to you. Every week, I meet with many of you, and I hear about the heartbreaking circumstances that a lot of you are facing. So when we pause and think about it, the details of the suffering and circumstances that Paul is facing may not be exactly the same as ours, but the type of things he's facing happen to all of us. Even when, if I'm honest, even when the circumstances aren't that difficult, I still find myself doing the same thing. Right? Even when I know what God's plan for me is and things are going good, those circumstances can tend to blur the direction God's called me to. Right? I, as an example, I know that studying God's word, going to him in prayer, I know that those are things that God calls me to do, that God blesses when I do them. But when do I usually do those? Not when things are going well. Right? I wait until things are difficult. I'm at the end of my rope to go to his word or to go in prayer. I let my circumstances, whether they're good or bad, interpret what God calls me to do. I know that giving my money is actually something that blesses other people and blesses me. But when I look each month at the circumstances of my budget, it makes it a little bit harder to do that. Do those things sound familiar? We're gonna talk about human sexuality next week. I hope you can join us. Jenny Lynn gave those details about next Saturday. 
when God talks about sexual ethics, that's a big one in our world right now. When he talks about sexual ethics, the beliefs, the behaviors, the, the thoughts, the desires that we should have. Not only that we should have, but that the world should have. Because those ways are going to bring flourishing and blessing to us. How do we read what he says? How do we respond to what he says? Do we let our circumstances, the people around us, the sexual ethics that the world tells us, even internal desires of our own hearts, do we let those become the lens through which we understand what God says about those things? If you're like me, my circumstances constantly want to serve as the lens through which I understand God's plans, God's purposes for me. But in our passage, Paul offers us an alternative. Paul shows us that it is possible to reverse that and instead to let God's plan be the lens through which we see our circumstances. How does he do that? And how do we learn from that? Well, I think we see Paul doing it in the passage in two ways. I'm going to call those patience and providence. Notice first that Paul never seems to be in a hurry, even in the midst of these circumstances, right? How often do you feel called by God and so you just rush into it? Or how often do you feel like there are difficult circumstances and you want to rush out of them? But Paul seems to show a supernatural patience. When he hears there's going to be an attempt to assassinate him, he doesn't escape. He sends his nephew to talk to the Roman tribune. When Felix has him in custody and he has an opportunity to bribe him and escape, he doesn't. He talks to him, it says, for two years sharing the gospel, calling him and warning him about judgment. Now, maybe, maybe Paul's heart was impatient. Maybe deep down he was worried about God's timing. That would be understandable, but we don't get any indication of that. In the midst of these circumstances, Paul is patient. Because he knows that God moves at God's pace. If God's plan is the lens through which he sees his circumstances, then that means he knows that God's plan is going to move at God's speed. Paul can be patient because he trusts in God's plan. Because it's the lens through which he sees all of his circumstances. I also mentioned the word providence. Right? The Westminster Confession says this about providence. Providence is God's holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. What that means is God is in control. So providence is very similar to trust and to patience. Paul being able to see his circumstances through the lens of God's plan means that God's familiar with God's providence. Paul's familiar with God's providence. He knows that God is in control. And so instead of seeing these circumstances as something that might derail God's plan, he recognizes they might be the way that God's going to accomplish his plan. Every circumstance might be a way that God's going to move Paul towards Rome. We see this when he's handed off to yet another Roman governor, Festus, right? Festus asks Paul if he wants to be tried in Jerusalem. Well, something very subtle happens there that you might not have noticed. One 
commentator says it like this. Paul knew that even if he should reach Jerusalem alive, he could be more easily done away with there. But the Jews had opened an escape route. If they had restricted their their charges just to Paul blaspheming the temple, then he couldn't have refused to go to Jerusalem to be tried. But the Jews had raised the far wider charge of causing dissent in the empire. Both charges, the charge of blasphemy against the temple and of dissent in the Roman world, both of them carried the death penalty. But even though the second one was graver, Paul elected to be charged on that one, the dissent of the empire. (coughs) Paul could have gone to Jerusalem and been tried. But instead, Paul recognized God's providence had opened a door in his circumstances. Paul knows that if he appeals to Caesar, where does he go? To Rome. The lens through which Paul saw every one of his circumstances, even these false charges against him, was that these might be the way in which God took him to where he wanted him to be. This reminds me, Katie and I have been reading Genesis to the kids in the mornings in, in Genesis 50 when Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery. They thought he might be dead. He goes to Egypt as a slave, then eventually in prison for many years. He finally gets out of prison and becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt, providing food during a famine. And his brothers come to him when they realize he's alive, and it says that they're afraid. But this is what Joseph says. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Joseph understood providence. Joseph understood that he needed to see his circumstances as difficult as they were through the lens of God's purposes and God's plan. Paul does that same thing in our passage this morning, and he sets an example for us. Now notice, and this is important, That's just because you see things this way, it doesn't make your circumstances go away. It doesn't make them any difficult, any less difficult to walk through. Just because you begin to see your circumstances through the lens of what God might be doing doesn't mean that you stop feeling the pain or the sadness or the anger at those circumstances. Paul was still afraid and still anxious. We saw that in the first verse we read. We see it in all of Paul's letters. He talks about it all the time. What it does mean, though, is that your circumstances aren't pointless. Like the lenses on my glasses, the lens of God's plan gives clarity to your circumstances. They allow you to see them more clearly. It doesn't answer every question that you might have about why you're going through the things that you're going. But it does mean that none of it is meaningless. God can use everything, even the most difficult, the most heartbreaking, the most evil things that happen for his purposes. And you may not see the point of them right away. You may not actually even get to see the point of them in your lifetime. But knowing this enables us to move forward with confidence that God does, that God has purposes. So is this just a sermon then? that says, 
Stop doing what you're doing and be more like Paul. Well, a little bit, but there's a reason for that. It's not just that Paul's better than all of us at having patience and trusting God and seeing God's providence and understanding things through the lens of God's plan. So it begs the question then, how was Paul able to do that? What is it about Paul that enabled him to do that? Because if we find that answer, that might give us some hope for being able to do the same. And I think that that answer is that Paul had discovered something. Paul had seen something that changed the way he saw everything else. Something radical had happened to Paul so that he never saw things the same again. Have you ever had something like that happen to you? Something so significant happened in your world, in your life, that you never saw things the same anymore. A perspective change, a new lens that changed the way you saw everything in life. I was talking about this idea with Jason and Adrian this week, actually, when we were hanging out, and Jason mentioned that it reminded him of Harry Potter. Now, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I immediately knew what he was talking about. Um, he had just finished the series, and what he was talking about, and I'm sorry it's, if you haven't read it yet, I'm sorry, it's, uh, what's the Nate Bargatze thing? Look, this is 20 years old. I'm not trying to spoil this for you, but sorry. Like, the thing that Jason had discovered, the thing that I discovered in Harry Potter, was at the end of the book when you realize that Professor Snape is actually good. When you realize that Professor Snape, his whole life had been in love with Harry's mom and had done everything that he did for her and for Harry. You never read Harry Potter the same ever again. Ever again, it's not possible. I've read it several times with my kids. Once you discover that, you never read anything in that book the same. You almost wanna go back and have it happen for the first time again. That's how significant it changes the story. The lens through which you read the entire story changes. In an even greater way, that's what happened to Paul. So what was that for Paul? What did Paul discover? He discovered the resurrection of Jesus. That radically changed everything for Paul when he met Jesus on that road. It wasn't just a new lens for Paul. Remember, Jesus blinds him on the road. These are new eyes for Paul. This was a new set of eyes that called Paul to see the world in a completely different way, a new way of understanding everything in his life. So Paul sees all the circumstances of his life through God's plan, which is built on the truth of the resurrection. What that means this morning is that this isn't a call for you to be more like Paul. This is a call for you to remember the resurrection of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, the resurrection is true for you. It is the new reality to your life. No matter what your circumstances are, Jesus has risen from the dead for you. He's defeated every single evil 
He's repaired every heartbreak. He's wiped every tear, even the ones you haven't had to walk through yet or that you're walking through right now. That's the hope that lets you be more like Paul. The resurrection changes everything that you see. It's the hope that lets you see every circumstance through the lens of God's plans for you because his plan is already won. We love to quote Tim Keller in here. I'll do it again this morning. After 9-11, he gave a sermon in New York as people were asking this question. How do we see all these things that are happening? And this is what Tim Keller said. Do you know what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the resurrection? He's not saying that he's going to give us a nicer place to live. He's not saying that he made everything that happened this week become a bad dream. He's not just giving you a consolation. What Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection, is that he is going to make it all come untrue. He's going to incorporate even the worst things that have ever happened to you. They're going to be taken up into the glory that's to come in such a way that they make the glory better and greater for having once been broken. That's the lens of God's story. The truth, the foundation of the resurrection that gives you a new way to look at every circumstance you face. Those are the new eyes that only come through the resurrection of Jesus. Believe that as you leave this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we come in a moment to the table. Let us be reminded of the resurrection. As we take the body and the blood of Jesus, let us be reminded of the resurrection. As we take it one an- with one another, as each one of us is facing such difficult circumstances in this world, let us remember the resurrection so that we might have the new eyes to see the world in the way that you see it. Knowing your victory is assured, let us come to the table and remember that. In your name we pray. Amen.